Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. case you're wondering what this is. Uh, you do the questions, I'll do the answers. That's how it works. I've got some preordained questions. If you've got any questions of your own, you can chip in. And if I can answer it, I will do my level best to give you my opinion and my take on this stuff, because a lot of it is opinion. A lot of it is opinion. It is not written in stone, a lot of this stuff, which is why I do... Um, pity is the wrong word, but... Um, sympathize with people who are looking for surgery because there's lots of opinions out there it doesn't mean someone's right and wrong plastic surgery is still one of those ones where there is uh people's individual surgeons have got experience of something and they will then do it that way whereas another surgeon will have an experience of something else and do it another way it doesn't mean that one's right or wrong you know some surgeons you know use a lot of teardrop implants, some usually use a lot of round implants, some use smooth, some use textured, some use an inframammary incision, some use transaxillary incision. You know, some do liposuction with the to the upper abdomen when they do a tummy tuck, others don't. And it's just the way it is, you know, people do approach gynecomastia differently. It's it's just opinions. So this is all my opinion. If uh and it is not, I'm not saying it's the right way to do it. I'm just saying it's the way I would do it. And, you know, like, that's how I've done it before. And it's worked out all right. I mean, there is some, <laughs> I suppose it's not quite as bad as that. I mean, there is some, like, you know, uh, proper stuff behind it, you know, got training and all that sort of thing. So it's not quite as random as that. But there is still opinion in plastic surgery as opposed to other types of surgery. Um, and other types of um, medicine where there are sort of algorithms like if your blood pressure's that you do that and then if that doesn't work you do that and that's second line third line you know there's like these charts of stuff where you don't really have those charts in plastic surgery um so right well with that said i've got to get into the first question which is can we remove a cyst located on the finger joint so um I think we have a theme probably every week with a, 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 a cyst or something that uh, I can't remove from a certain area. And this week is the this week that the, um, the cyst that can't be removed from a certain area is a is the finger joint one. Now I won't say it can't be removed; it can be removed. And this is partic particular patient who sends a photo who it's over the, the knuckle, and it's not uncommon to get them over the this one's over this knuckle. It's not uncommon to get them over the, this knuckle, the, the, the end one, but it can be the end or the middle one. So, um, and a cyst over a joint is is a particular type of cyst. It's called a ganglion, and a ganglion is a little bit more difficult to remove than a cyst that will be underneath the skin because it's connected to the joint, and they've got a very high risk of recurrence. And you would probably, uh, well, you probably want a hand surgeon for that. Now, there are plastic surgeons who are hand surgeons. There's a, hand surgery is a subspecialty of plastic surgery. Would you believe? I don't know if that's um, if that's news, news to you, but that is a quite a major uh, branch of plastic surgery is hand surgery. And certainly when you're training, you do an awful lot of hand surgery, a lot of trauma um, 
few people sort of cutting tendons and what have you. So um, that would be a hand surgeon. And they, when you do hand surgery, you do things like use a tourniquet to uh, stop the blood, um, to make it easier to do the surgery. And so that is not something we would do at our clinic. We don't have a tourniquet. We don't really do hand surgery as such. I mean, I would take a mole or a tattoo or something off the hand, but that wouldn't be classified as hand surgery. If you talk about surgery, getting into the joint. One, I wouldn't do it at the clinic because I haven't got a tourniquet. And two, you know what? I wouldn't do it anyway because I'm not a hand surgeon. Um, I'm a breast surgeon. So, I, um, so there are plastic surgeons who would do that. Um, and also, also orthopedic surgeons. Hand surgery is a cross between orthopedics and plastic surgery. Both will do, um, pro probably both would do that sort of surgery for the finger joint. But uh, high rate of recurrence um, and a little bit more complicated because you have to do stuff because you have to get down onto the joint. So yeah, that, that was a that was a no. Unfortunately, we don't we'll do that one. That uh, that. Uh, Cyst on the finger joint. Now, I currently have a breast asymmetry and would also like an areola reduction. Can you help? Yeah, so this patient has, um, I think, is, is thinking of having a lift on one side. So one breast is sitting lower than the other breast. And I think I think it was an implant in both breasts and a, and a lift of one. And so if you have a breast asymmetry, it is usually slash always pretty much the case that you'll have an, an asymmetry of nipple height. So you either ignore that or you lift the lower nipple. You wouldn't really want to lower the higher nipple. So when you've got an asymmetry, one breast bigger than the other, usually the bigger breast is heavier, sitting lower than the smaller breast. So there's an asymmetry of nipple height. So if you're gonna try and balance that out, you would do a lift to raise that nipple up. When you do a lift, an areola reduction is an integral part of that. So if, as well as your asymmetry, your problem is the areola is too big, that lift would address that. But of course, if you're just having a lift of one breast and you're not doing a lift on the other breast, then you might have a difference in, in size of your areola. Excuse me, Georgia Bavista, yes, you can ask a question on here. <laughs> so if you are doing a lift of one and not a lift of the other, if the larger breast hasn't um, hasn't got a disproportionately bigger areola than the other one you know if you want both of your areolas to be smaller that will be an integral part of the lift but you'd have to do an, an areola reduction of the other breast separately don't know if i made that overly complicated and then if you're going to do implants that's fine that's kind of a separate thing but you and you can so an areola reduction is an integral part of a lift so if your breath, both breasts are sitting low and you're both lifted and your areolas are too big, that is just part of the deal. You get your areolas reduced as part of the, the lift. That is an integral part. Um, but if you're just having an a lift of one, you, you could separately have an areola reduction of the other breast. And then if you want to have implants as well or not, whatever, that's separate. Um, but Georgie, yeah, that's the, that's the idea. You need to answer a question on here. It's interesting this we've had two of these um we've had this can you remove an overdrawn overdrawn lip tattoo from the skin and we had another one today on the online chat patient asking about eyebrow tattoo now generally speaking you can excise tattoos and we do quite a lot of them we seem to have quite a quite a sort of big um call for it but i would always say 
laser is the first port of call because when you excise a tattoo, when you cut it out, you give a scar. And on the face of it, I would say both of these, an, overdraw, an overdrawn lip tattoo and uh, um, an eyebrow tattoo would not be good things to remove by excision. They're not ones that I would immediately think that would be great. Yes, we can definitely help you with that. We can, but I wouldn't like to go cutting out an overdrawn lip tattoo. Um, I don't really know, unless, unless there's sort of like a bit a splodge or something, I, I don't know. But if the whole lot of the lip tattoo is overdrawn, I wouldn't want to give you a scar all the way along your lip. Personally, I think that would be um, potentially worse than your overdrawn. I mean, I haven't seen a photo of this, so always send us a photo but um same with the eyebrow i would say look i would probably think about laser first line because laser doesn't leave scarring or at least less chance of leaving scarring and so laser would be my first uh, port of call for those lip tattoo slash uh eyebrow issue georgia what have you got georgia's coming in live on the gram I was just wondering more about boob implants, rough prices, aftercare, etc. Thanks. Oh, I see. A question like that. I've got to be honest with you, Georgia. I don't know the prices. Um, I think it's like probably a bit more than six. To, I don't know. Do you want an exact price? I, I'm going to say six to seven thousand. I think. Um, I don't know if anyone's had, but, but what you can do, Georgia, you can either uh, email, email us or message me your email address, and I'll email you. Or if you go on the website, you go on the breast augmentation page, and it says get get price or request the price or something like that. Put your details in. You'll automatically get an email with all the information about prices and stuff like that and aftercare. Um, so rough prices, I'm going to say six to seven thousand. Depends a little bit about surgeon. So we've got um, Costas and myself. So I'm more expensive than Costas because I'm trying to do the running and doing all this time-consuming stuff like this. Obviously, this uh, Q and A stuff. Um, and also the type of implant. So polyurethane foam implants are more expensive than silicone implants. So that's another differential in terms of the prices. But uh, we can talk about all that sort of stuff. Um, aftercare, yeah, one of the big things about me and my clinic is that we very um, strongly focus on the aftercare. And I've always said, I think the aftercare is at least as important as the surgery. Uh, and a huge amount of our time is spent on aftercare um, because I think that's, you know, that's how we've, we've framed and built the clinic. Um, so you have a uh, surgery on a certain day. You can often go home the same day as your surgery. You would uh, have a dressing clinic appointment the week after with um, Vicky or Geraldine, one of the clinic nurses. Um, you would um, have uh, a follow-up with me about six weeks, check on the scar. Scar's probably a bit red. Shape might not be quite right. Get you talk about scar management, what have you. Then normally another follow-up at, um, at six months, 12 months, and then yearly. That's the sort of aftercare regime of the um, of it. The implants themselves have got a lifetime warranty. You'll be covered for six months for revisions. Revisions meaning that you know that they're, they're too high, too wide, too up, too down, whatever. Um, be a bit careful because revisions doesn't include size. So we do uh, work hard to talk to you about sizes, shapes. Go through that with you in the clinic. We use sizes to get an idea of volume. To try and make sure we get uh, the right implant choice for you. It's important to get that right pre-op so we encourage you to come back as often as you want to to talk about that and um so yeah revisions so if there's a problem you're recovered for six months i said that already for the revisions um and um 
Yeah, but I'll say put it, if you if you put your details in the website and you get an, you'll get an email, or if you send send a message or something on Instagram, we can pick it up and send you some information about that. Can we remove an ovarian cyst? Yeah, I've got we've got this on the cyst removal page now. I guess on paper an ovarian cyst is a cyst. Fair fair play to you. Can't argue with that. Um, but the answer is no. I mean, it's inside the abdomen, so it's we, we, we plastic surgery. Um, you're welcome, Georgia. Plastic surgery is one of those ones where you operate on any part of the body, but it's all superficial. It's all skin and fat. We don't really go into the body cavities, so we don't really go into the brain or the lungs or the abdomen. Um, so the surgery is very much skin and fat. It's soft tissue. It's changing the shape, plasticos, you know, changing the shape of the body. Um, so we wouldn't go into the ovary and remove an ovarian cyst. That would be a gynecologist. So that would be a different type of doctor um, who would do that sort of stuff. Slim Sue, what you got? Is there a risk of keloid scarring with a breast reduction? Yes, there is, Slim Sue. I wouldn't say it's a huge risk. Um, there are certain areas, certain parts of the body which have got a high risk of keloid scarring, shoulders, sternum. Um, breast reduction is not a high risk area, but it, you know, it, ha it has happened uh, and it can happen. It's higher in certain skin types, so darker Afro-Caribbean skin types. Um, it's increased, or at least hypertrophic scarring, which is like a milder form of keloid scarring, if you like, is increased if there's a delay in the wound healing, particularly on the horizontal scar, which is fortunately more hidden than the scar that's around the area and down. But still, you can get it in the scar that's around the, around the area down. And certainly, if you've got a history of keloid scarring, if you've had keloid scarring in the past, that's something that would, I would worry about. And I would say to you, yeah, worried about that there's not an awful lot you can do to pre prevent it um apart from just saying look we'll treat it if it happens there's things you can do to treat it and we do treat keloid scars but it would have to be put into the mix of whether you're going to um take on surgery you know in terms of risks versus the benefits so it'd have to go into a risk if you are prone to it if you're not prone to keloid scar and you haven't got a skin type that's a prone to keloid scarring i wouldn't be overly worried about it i'm not saying you're not going to get it i'm just saying the chances are, are not uh, not high for that op for a breast reduction operation it's more for the sternum this sort of area and shoulders earlobes often get keloids um the top part of my stomach has a loose skin do you offer a reverse tummy tuck for that well yes and no. well yes and well, no not even yes and no i suppose yes yes not even yes and no yes we do we do i've got to be honest with you so reverse tummy tucks is extremely rare operation. You're welcome, Sim Sue. Um, I'm trying to think of the last time I did a reverse tummy tuck. I don't think I've done one since I've had the clinic, which is 10 years. So it's not a common procedure. Um, and it's basically the same as a tummy tuck, but it's at the top. So you have a scar underneath your breast, joins in the middle. And it's for people with a significant overhang in their upper abdomen. It would have to be a significant overhang it wouldn't be just a bit of loose skin. I mean, a bit of loose skin, I would probably be more along the lines of liposuction to try and take out some of the fat behind the skin and hope that skin recoils. Or possibly just saying except for loose skin because it's quite, quite. although the scar is kind of hidden like a breast reduction scar is hidden, it joins in the middle, so it's not hidden there, you know, so you get that, that, you know, that scar. So I, it's not a great scar and it's quite a big op. But yeah, it can be done. But as I say, it's, it's pretty like this. A lot more people think they need it versus those who actually end up having it. 
um, because when because it, it is a rare, it's usually for massive weight loss patients, and it's usually for people who've had a tummy tuck, um, because the lower abdominal excess is pretty much always, I would say, worse. You're not really seeing anyone with more up, you know, certainly enough upper abdominal excess to warrant a tummy tuck who didn't have lower abdominal excess to warrant. Sorry, you know, the upper warrants a reverse, and they haven't got enough in the lower to warrant uh, a normal tummy tuck. So the, the lower abdomen is always worse. So you normally do a normal tummy tuck first. And then if there's a sort of big hanging fold of skin in the upper abdomen, then you could consider a reverse abdominoplasty. But again, that is my view on it. You might find some people who've got lower thresholds to, to do reverse tummy tucks. I don't know, but I've got quite a high threshold to do a reverse tummy tuck. And I'd be more inclined to do liposuction or just save up a bit of loose skin. I don't think it's worth doing the reverse one. It's my sort of go-to bit of advice. Do we offer liposuction? to the upper arms. Um, you know, I don't do as much liposuction as you might think I would. You might think plastic surgeon, they're in there doing liposuction all day long. I do like doing liposuction, I do. I love it, I do. It's great, tiny incisions. Don't have to worry about wound healing. It's very satisfying seeing the fat come out. The problem with liposuction is it doesn't remove skin. And so I would be, I'm wary about where I do liposuction, hips and flanks, male chest, you know, a lot of people want it on the arms, a lot of people want it on the abdomen, a lot of people want it on the inner thigh, and I tend not to use it on those areas. Reason being the skin doesn't recoil. So I worry about not getting a good result because the problem with liposuction is the equipment's expensive. It's an expensive procedure, it's not a cheap procedure. And if you have an expensive procedure and have an average result, you're not gonna be happy. If you have a cheap procedure and an average result, you're probably gonna accept it a bit better. So. Um, I tend not to do liposuction to the upper arms as a rule. I wouldn't never say never. You can do it, and I could do it, but I, I wouldn't tend to do it. Now, there are assisted forms of liposuction, things like Vaser and um, there's loads, Smart Lipo. and um, Anyway, they've got some kind of energy associated as well as the liposuction. So I use power-assisted liposuction, which means the machine goes backs and forwards, and it just sucks the fat out. The uh, energy type liposuctions have got a some kind of energy that's delivered to the fat to sort of dissolve the fat before you suck it out. Good thing being that they use smaller cannulas, more likely to do it under local anesthetic. And they also say because it's delivering energy to the fat, uh, it might deliver some energy to the skin and it might cause some kind of skin retraction. So those uh, assisted forms of liposuction do say that they form some degree of skin retraction. So they might be the sort of ones that would be more appropriate for the areas that I tend not to do liposuction, like the arms, um, the abdomen, and the inner thighs. These are all areas I don't do liposuction as a sole procedure because I worry about there being excess skin there and it not looking good. Whereas if you, um, and I think excisional procedures are better, but I completely understand that a lot of people don't want an excisional procedure because an excisional procedure means a big scar and an arm reduction, big scar down the arm. You know, you don't fancy it, and I completely get that. So there's there's definitely a market for a non-scarring, uh, if you like, uh, procedure for the arms to, to sort of tighten the skin. But I um, have struggled a bit with getting it with with um, sort of recommending uh, just liposuction without taking the skin out because I worry about there being hanging skin there, and, and you really need something that's going to tighten that skin. Uh, and so maybe these assisted forms of life suction would do the trick, but you probably have to speak to someone who does them because I don't do them 
to see whether that would be something that's worthwhile looking at. But it's definitely an area that needs something because I think there is a lot of people who don't want an arm reduction but would like their uh, arm or their skin tighter. And um, it's a it's a gap in the market. For show. So this is one that came and I and it was on um, Facebook. I think there must have been a little sticker on the Facebook story that said asked a question. So when I clicked on the little bell on Facebook, it said question's been asked, but it had half the question and then it had dot 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 and I clicked on it and it just took me to the Facebook story picture. Couldn't find the question. So I think the question is as follows. Can you correct grade three inverted nipples without cutting the milk ducts? It was, I think that was it. If the person who put that question wants to clarify that and say it wasn't that, then come back at me. But I think that's what they were saying. So um, basically, yeah. So first of all, different types of, of, of nipple inversion. So essentially it depends on whether it comes out sometimes or if it, it comes out never, you know, whether you can coax it out or, or not. And um, the more likely you are to coax it out. So if it's some, if a nipple sometimes out and sometimes not out, then you could look at things like suction cups, the nipplet device, and what have you. So that was something that you, um, the, the more deeply inverted it is, and if it's deeply inverted all the time, then you would worry that suction cups not really going to stretch those ducts enough. Now the reason that you've got an inverted nipple is because the ducts are shortened, the milk ducts are shortened, and there's two ways to correct an inverted nipple. The best way to correct an inverted nipple is by cutting those ducts. Now there is, whichever way you do it, there's a risk of it in coming back. So there's a risk of it coming back if you use a suction cup, there's a risk of it coming back if you do surgery. Now if you um, cut the ducts, you're reducing your risk of the inversion happening again. Now having said that, when you cut the ducts, there is a space which can fill up the scar tissue and put it back down again. So there is still a risk it can come back again, but it's less of a risk when you try and bolster it up and put some sutures in so it doesn't come back down again. But of course, if you're cutting the ducts, then you're not going to be able to breastfeed in the future. So that a lot of people think, oh, I'm not sure about that. Like this person here saying, I'm, can you do it without cutting the ducts? Well, yes, you can do it without cutting ducts. You can do it by keeping the ducts intact. And you just tease them up in a line, in the, in the line of the ducts, so you're not cutting the ducts. This way you're going in the line of the ducts, tease it up, tease the nipple up, and then you have to hold it up somehow. So you, you can take a flap of skin from the areola, put it on either sides, and and try and hold up the, the uh, nipple that way to sort of bolster it up. Um, the bad thing about that is number one, there's scarring on the areola, whereas when you cut the ducts, you don't really have any scarring on the areola. You have a tiny little incision at the base of the areola you can't really see, whereas this has got uh, sort of radial scarring going out, which you, you might be able to see, it usually blends in pretty well. But the main risk of that is because you're not really cutting the ducts and you're just trying to pull them and stick some tissue into to uh, stop them from, from dropping down there's a higher risk of recurrence or incomplete correction. And so if they're deeply inverted, eye moving, and again, this comes back to what I was saying at the beginning, you know, everyone's, everyone's got their own views on things. I'm moving away from doing that, to be honest with you. I'm like, I don't, you know, it, it doesn't look as good when you don't cut the ducts. It's got, got a dent in the middle, it can pull back in. As I say, yeah, that can happen when you um, do cut the ducts. So it's, it's even more of a risk when you don't cut the ducts. So, I would be questioning whether it's worth doing surgery if you're absolutely sure you won't you, you want you don't want your ducts cut. So if you don't want your ducts cut, and you're saying, oh, I want to breastfeed now, you might not be able to breastfeed anyway, given that you've got a significantly inverted nipple. But if you if you you know absolutely sure you want to try, I would say just just don't have surgery and um, 
and see how you go. And then once you've finished your family, what have you, maybe think about having it done. Because I think the most long lasting way is for, uh, is definitely to cut the ducts and the most sort of, um, I'm not sure if impressive is the right word, but the most, you know, complete correction is with cutting the ducts, uh, in my experience. Elaine, how are you? Missed the last few weeks. I've been on in theatres too, on placement. Look at you in the theatres. Um, what's going on here? There's a little question. Oh, here we go. We've got two questions. Wow. Wow. This is, you know, start something big. Nothing's happening on Facebook, but Instagram's all going. It's a question from someone. Six days post-op, how to help a stubborn implant drop? Other side is fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Six days post-op, don't worry about it. Um, again, back to the thing like I said at the beginning, that everyone's got different views about stuff and stick with your surgeon and what your surgeon's view is. Some surgeons have got straps. You put a strap across the top and some people give you bras and the bras have got straps and all that sort of stuff. Um, we sometimes use straps, hardly ever, to be honest, hardly ever use straps. I don't know, I'm not saying they don't, I don't know if they work or not. Uh, massage can help. Six days post-op, I wouldn't go too crazy on it, to be honest with you. Um, and I wouldn't be too worried about it. It's always, they're always a bit high to start off with, and one's always worse than the other, whichever one it is. There's always a bit of asymmetry. So at six days, I wouldn't be going too crazy on it, trying to get it to sort of drop. Um, I normally say that three months really for things to start to start to settle as well at three months. So at six days, I won't be too worried. Talk to your surgeon, keep close with your surgeon. Um, you can ask them about the straps, whether they think the straps are good, and you can ask them about massaging. They might not want you to massage at six days, I don't know, that might be a bit soon for them. But um, yeah, try not to worry about it as well. I do believe there's you know, psychosomatic. Has got a bit of a bad name it's a bit like oh it's all in the mind oh they're mad they've got nothing wrong with them and i realized this with my back pain i think you know i think there's definitely a link in terms of the mind like causing the muscles to tense and causing the problem worse causing your back pain worse causing your you know things to get worse really worse so it's psychosomatic kind of sounds like it's all in your mind i don't think it is all in your mind i do think it is real true things like maybe the implants high or the pain or this or that and i think and i do think it is important to try you know i'm not saying sort of don't worry about it it's all going to be fine what i would say at six days post-op is don't worry about it too much and what i always say to patients is i can't guarantee it's going to settle you know, often I'm, I'm like, I think it probably will settle because it doesn't look too bad. I think it probably will settle, but I can't guarantee it. It might not. You might need to have something done, might need to lower it or whatever. But what I can guarantee is that six days, this isn't your final result. So your result is going to be different at three months, at six months, at 12 months. So try not to worry about it today because in six months, it might be something, the other one might be dropped too low. It might drop too low. The other one might drop too low. One might be bigger. So, you know, it might have a different problem. So don't worry about this problem now because this isn't your final result. I don't know if that's helpful. <laughs> You might have another problem in six months, don't worry. But anyway, that's that's a, that's my uh that's my angle on it. Um Katie, is there any possible complications with implants and being pregnant? No. Nil. Nisht nada niente. Um the only problem and, and uh, say to people that it's different if you're coming to talk about having implants and saying I'm thinking of getting pregnant. 
that's a different conversation to someone who's saying, I've got implants and I've just got pregnant. So if you are not pregnant yet and you're saying, is there any problem with having implants? I would say to you, well, don't have implants if you're thinking of getting pregnant. Because if you get pregnant, your breasts will get bigger. They might stay bigger. They might get smaller. They might droop. Things might happen to your breasts. So you're better off waiting until you've had your finished your family before having implants because you, you're, you could have implants and your breasts will change. If you've already got implants in, there's absolutely no problem with having, getting pregnant and having children and breastfeeding and, and all those sorts of things. People are about silicone and silicone in the milk and things like that, and they've got it in the, you know, the silicone teats you give the children, so they ingest silicone from the teats. So um, there's no problem with having implants if you're get and, and then getting pregnant. The only problem is your breast might change shape, it might change size, and that might mess up your operation that you've just paid thousands of pounds to get your breasts how you want them, and then you have children and then they make them bigger and they stay big or they droop or they get smaller or whatever. So you might have need something done to, to fix that, or you might not. You might say, I'm happy, I've got my children, I'm happy and who cares, you know, that's fine. But that's the only issue about having children with uh, implants. So as I say, if you haven't got implants in yet, I would probably say to you, wait, if you've already had the implants put in, I would say to you, don't worry about it. Have have a family. Go for it. Enjoy. Don't worry about it. Two questions on the sticker. I've got, I think that's got to be a new world record. Thank you for that. Your sticker uh, questioners, uh, questionees, questioners. Am I the questionee? You're the questioners. I don't know. Anyway, um, digressing. Uh, any more for any more? Anyone? Anyone? Give it a couple of minutes, shall we? It's like when you, you know, before you start the talk, there's no one at the, there's no one at the talk. Give it a couple of minutes before we start. People are probably late. I think people are not arriving yet. Yeah, yeah. Give it a couple of minutes, shall we? Let people park and find. <laughs> yeah. No one else is coming, are they? This is it. Face it. Face it, Jay. This is it, mate. No one else is coming. There's no more questions. Oh, God, there is a question. There. <laughs> yes, there's a question. Right, what we got? Is there a possible... Uh, hold on a minute. If you develop mastitis, could that affect the implant? Oh, look at that. Look at that. Quality. Quality. Look at that. Is there a problem with it getting pregnant? No, no problems at all. What about if you get pregnant, if you get mastitis? Yeah, okay. Good point. Blimey. Maybe should I put that into my... um. Maybe I should revise my implant and uh, pregnancy question. Well, yeah, is the answer. Um, so I guess if you get pregnant and you breastfeed, you're having you're going to have a higher risk of mastitis because you're less likely to get mastitis in a normal. I mean, you could get mastitis in a normal daily basis, but you're much more likely when you're breastfeeding. And therefore, if you get a mastitis, which is an infection right near the implant, could that become then make it implant infected? Yes, is the answer. So that is. So that would be a kind of a worry in my mind if you had a uh, implant in and you got mastitis. I think could it get the implant? Could it make the implant infected? Could it increase your risk of getting capsular contracture? Yes, these are all bad things about having a um, implant in if you're getting pregnant. Having said that, I still would say that the same change in the shape of your breasts would be more of a thing. Um, so I wouldn't over egg it on someone who's already got implants in who's going to get pregnant. Whether that's something I should be saying to people before they get uh, implants, if they're thinking of getting pregnant, 
Um, yeah, maybe I should say, and if you get mastitis, you could get an infected implant. Good point. Wish I'd thought of that. Note to self. Could get mastitis. Yeah. Didn't think of that. Yep. That's a good another, another reason not to have implants in pregnancy. But, I, you know, I think the shape thing is probably more of a thing for me. But backtracking there, trying to justify my answer rather than yours. But both valid. Yeah, well done. Well done that. I'll take I'll take that. Take that on board. Take that feedback. Mastitis could be a problem if you were... Um, but if I finished the live, I would have I would have avoided that uh, public humiliation. Finished early, but there you go. Live by the sword, die by the sword. Put yourself up for this sort of stuff. Going to get called out, aren't you? Members of the public saying, "What about this?" And I'm like, "Yeah, didn't think of that." Hmm. Well done, Katie. Well done, you. Um, sticker for that. That's a, deserves a sticker. Anyone else want to pick me up on any of the answers that I've given that were woefully inadequate? Any other inadequate um, responses to questions? Or was that the only, that the only one? Yeah, only one at this stage, I'm sure. If you review the footage, you'll be able to find plenty of inadequate inadequacy in the, uh, in the questions presented. But anyway, yeah. Um, okay. Well, listen, I've got things to do, to be quite honest with you. Um, got to pay the milkman and, uh, yeah, got a lot on, awful lot on. So I can't, uh, can't dilly-dally. So uh, anyway, if there are any questions, I will um, happily respond to them. But in the absence of, and, it, and if this comes back as a, as a review thing on Facebook and there's loads of questions and I've been ignoring them, just so you know, on my bit, there's none. I'm sure it's a glitch. I can't believe there's no interaction on Facebook. It must be a glitch. So when it comes on the, on the rev review and you see all those unanswered questions, it's because it's not showing me any questions here, what I'm seeing. So sorry for all those people on Facebook who are clamoring to ask me questions. I'm sure you're all there, um, but I can't see you. It's, it's making out as if there's no one there, which clearly can't be the case. Um, I think we all know that uh, Social influencer like myself is is not going to have like no one on Facebook. I mean that's just not clearly not possible. There must be a glitch in the in the system. I think that's uh, that's quite clear. We'll talk to the Facebook executives in the morning and uh, see if we can get that fixed. But anyway, um, okay. Well, have a good evening all and uh, wrap up early night. I think it's so cold, isn't it? Just get your book. Got a good book. Got a really good book at the moment. Just can't read my book. I think. But uh, yeah, after I've uh, paid the milk one. Anyway, uh, that is not a um, sort of double entendre or connotation. Paying the milk one is exactly that. Just got to pay the milk one. Okay, so it's, don't get anything by that before you write in with complaints. Anyway, so I will see you next week, same time, same place. And uh, yeah, maybe there'll be someone on Facebook as well, but Instagram's a live and vibrant community of Instagram. Thank you. Um, God love you. Well done, Instagram. Uh, Facebook, yeah, uh, take it easy, Facebook. Um, hope to see you next week, maybe, if you're, uh, if you're around 7 o'clock, yeah. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. 
We'd love to hear from you. 